0: Hi everyone, and welcome to the Perma Podcast. I'm James Prescott, your host. Really great to be back with you all again, um, and I'm absolutely delighted to welcome back my my beloved friend, all the way from San Diego, um, author and pastor Brandon Robertson. Welcome back to the show. Hey there, it's so
1: good to be with you as always.
0: Yeah, it is. Yeah, um, I was in San Diego recently. I was. Um, speaking at uh, brandon's church staying with some people in his leadership team and it was just a great experience and uh i was on his podcast recently in case you would missed that uh the patchwork podcast um i would definitely recommend that by the way um and uh he's got a new book out brandon um called the gospel of inclusion uh, and it's i've been reading it it's excellent and um, we're going to talk about that today so um, i'm really excited
1: yeah thanks for having me i'm always happy to chat with you and like you said i think our conversation on my podcast was a great conversation about creativity so everyone should go and listen to that as well
0: absolutely absolutely i agree (laughs) Uh, yeah um great so tell us a bit about the gospel of inclusion so yeah the gospel
1: of inclusion this is kind of my contribution to um the LGBT theology um, that has been coming out for the past decade or so, um, in particular from the evangelical world, Um, I've been talking about the Christian case for LGBT inclusion in the church for a number of years, and the Gospel of Inclusion, the book, actually is um, the core of the writing is my master's thesis. It's what I spent three years uh, studying and researching For my master's degree in theology, and so it's my hope to put this message out in the world. It's a different take on um, how to articulate a theology of LGBT inclusion because, frankly, I never really found most of the arguments that centered around the six verses of Scripture Mm -hmm. and uh, reinterpreting them very compelling or convincing for my own faith journey, and so this book is my articulation of how I see the entirety of the Gospel of Jesus, and in fact, the entirety of the bible pointing towards god's desire for an inclusive kingdom and an inclusive world for everyone um and i've thrown it out into the world and i'm excited for people to engage with it and hopefully it helps begin conversations around how we can um restructure and rethink all of our theology from the ground up um in ways that are more inclusive and thoughtful of who is being pushed to the margin
0: absolutely yeah um and it's very thorough as well, like the book. I, I There's a lot in there. That, I mean, I've read a, a lot of book, books on LGBT um, inclusive theology, but this was really comprehensive. You, you really go into detail and unpack a lot of the background to a lot of the passages, um, including the culture and the language and the context, um, and it completely changes the whole meaning of, uh, of, of what some of these... Passages, passages mean, Um, and um, in some cases, to a complete opposite um, meaning than is often kind of interpreted. And like, I mean, give me one example. Like, I mean, we'll go. Actually, what we'll do is look at a couple of examples. Um, Maybe we'll look at one from like the Old Testament, Leviticus, maybe, and then look at one of them from the New Testament, just as an example for people of what's in the book. Um, So, like, to give us a bit of the background on the kind of the Leviticus verses about um, homosexuality and um, the, the um, yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, totally. I mean, really, what I'll say is that I quote in the book um, my Bible college professor, who's actually an anti-gay theologian, but his name's Christopher Yuan, and he always taught us in Bible college that context is not Context is not just king, but it's the whole deck of cards. If we are going to approach Scripture, um, we need to, if we're going to understand and unpack what the writers of Scripture were actually trying to communicate, then understanding their culture and their context and their language is essential. And I've said this before, but I think this is one of the reasons that this is where the Reformation uh, actually goes off the rails a little bit. Uh, In the Protestant Reformation, there was such an emphasis on getting Scripture to lay people and on one hand that's really important the bible should be able to be read and interpreted by everyone and anyone but also part of the reason that the bible was kind of kept from lay people was because there was an understanding that it, it's a complex book and it takes study to actually begin to dig into meaning um, and so what i tried to show with these passages about the uh, passages is that unless you've done a deep dive into um, what the ancient Near East patriarchy looked like, if you're not willing to look into what the Hebrew language is, uh, what the words are that are being used um, in the verse that says, for instance, a man shall not lie with a man as with a woman, for this is an abomination. Unless you do a deep dive, you're going to miss the point. It's not just what it seems on the surface. And kind of the big points of the entire book, but what begins with the Clotter passages is that you've got to understand that patriarchy was just really emerging in the world when these Leviticus passages were written. Patriarchy was becoming the dominant way that cultures organized themselves. And so it makes sense that the writers of Scripture were going to encode in their sacred texts what they believed to be the best way to order their society. And the reason homosexual sex was condemned in the ancient world, both in the Hebrew Bible and in the New Testament, primarily comes from an ancient patriarchal idea that a man's or a person's identity, it was fundamentally tied to their sex sex position, uh, what role they played in the actual act of having sexual intercourse. And men were seen to be true men if they were dominant and if they were the penetrators. And so the reason, if you look in the Hebrew Bible, homosexuality is condemned, but lesbianism is never actually mentioned explicitly.
0: Mm. The
1: reason that for that is because a man, if he were to give up his so-called rightful place and allow himself to be penetrated sexually, he would be giving up his cultural cachet. He would be becoming like a woman. And that was disgraceful. That was a giving up of position and power. And that if a bunch of men started doing that in the patriarchal mind that threatens the whole ordering of society, because men are now becoming like women. Um, And that's not just for Leviticus, that's actually kind of the undercurrent from Leviticus all the way through the writings of the New Testament, that if there is a repulsion towards uh, homosexual sex, it's because of the way that it subverts the patriarchal ordering of society, which I contend is not God's desire, but was a cultural desire that just ended up being encoded in Scripture, because why wouldn't it?
0: yeah that makes a lot of sense um that makes a lot of sense i mean like again it's it's that it's that whole different context isn't it the when you when you read a cultural context into something it actually makes it very very different um Mm. you know and and, and i think that that i think what i've I've always understood about the leviticus passages is that um what they were actually talking about was um like cult worship and um men having sex with boys as an act of worship and things like that um rather than and they're not actually talk, one of the, this is this is something you bring up in the book actually that often in these when they in all of these passages they're not actually referring to the um the idea of two people having a monogamous loving committed relationship um it's it's not they're not talking about that context because it didn't exist um at the time the the idea of two people of the same same gender having a relationship um uh, an intimate relationship of love and commitment and um compassion and all these kind of things wasn't actually something that was in their consciousness so they couldn't have been referring to that uh, when they wrote about it
1: Right, and especially in the ancient uh, Hebrew world, in the world of the Old Testament, people um, remember that marriage and relationships were not seen as um, falling in love with somebody. It was mm. These were merely cultural, political, social arrangements. So you we, we still see this in Middle Eastern culture, right, that women are given to men, and that's how that was uh, understood the world of the Hebrew Bible, um, So there were no, there was really no context of relationships between loving people. It was all about social arrangements, and women were given to men so that they could be protected and provided for, and so that the men could have, frankly, sexual gratification and have something to to spread their uh, genes um, through having a child. And so, again, when that is understood as the context of the ancient world, and then you think about homosexual sex uh, it becomes very clear why an ancient person might see that as problematic because well um, two men are not going to procreate or two women aren't going to procreate um and a man doesn't need another man to protect him a man needs to protect a woman and there are all these things that just wouldn't make sense in the way that they viewed relationships that again not to justify their beliefs but when you understand it you're like oh well, it's very different than the world that we live in today, where we understand relationships to be, as you said, finding somebody who you love and who you're attracted to. Um, and I think perhaps if the way we view relationships was the way the ancient world viewed relationships, perhaps um, these writings about sex, sexuality, and relationships in scripture would look quite different.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, it's, yeah, and it's it's all about, I guess always for me going to like the deeper truth behind what they're saying rather than just looking on the surface because um like you can I think Rob Bell talks about reading the Bible literally you know um instead of actually kind of going deeper and actually yeah like you say doing a deep dive which is actually how you need to look at the Bible um because it's the only way you can understand it accurately you know and we all come to the Bible with our own stories and our own prejudices and our own backgrounds and everything. You know, we bring all these things to the Bible that when we when we read it, nobody kind of has a neutral reading of the Bible. Um, you know, and it always makes me laugh when people say that um, that like they have the only correct version interpretation of the Bible. theirs is the right one, and everyone else is wrong because we all come to the Bible from very different backgrounds, contexts, perspectives, and. You know cultures. Um, we're going to read into it from our own story. Um but that's one of the things I think that makes the Bible so great is that you can you can connect your own story to what's going on in scripture. Um, sure. So, yeah. Right. And like, so kind of. I suppose you covered this. Um, like, in kind of, kind of, like. <sighs> homosexual relationships in like back in kind of in kind of New Testament for say for example I mean they, it's not that they didn't happen that, that just the, the way they happened was different wasn't it it was um, I heard it I, I don't know how true this is or how how accurate this is um, but there's a I, I read some research saying that the when Jesus healed the, the the faith of the the faith of the um, centurion when he came and asked uh, Jesus to heal um, this servant of his um, that culturally there was a possibility that this guy could have been could have been his lover um, yeah. um, and that that's the way he talks about him is the way that you would talk about somebody like uh, like that and that's often what happened in Roman households. Um, um, and that Jesus obviously would have known this as well when he spoke to him. Um, um, do, you know, do you know? Do you know any bit about about that about that particular passage? I've always been curious about that one. Totally. Yeah. I mean, with a lot of stories in the Bible,
1: of course, there's no way to know for sure what uh, the context is happening in the individual stories. But um, what is true is that in the Greco-Roman world, it's one of the places we begin seeing the emergence of something that looked like romantic relationships of the modern day. And so it's actually true that there were many different types of relationships in the Greco-Roman world, some of which were loving relationships between men, and I think the Apostle Paul and Jesus probably would have at least heard about those kind of relationships, um, and the fact that they don't outrightly condemn those relationships that did exist in the first century says something. And you're right that um, it was often also common in the Greco-Roman patriarchy for a dominant man or a man of dominant culture to have a lover or um, a sexual partner that was a man of a lower culture or was a younger boy. Um, Pederasty was this idea that had a little flare-up in the first and second century in the Greco-Roman world where um, it was thought that an older man could take a younger boy as a mentee and kind of share wisdom and insight with them, and part of the passing on of that wisdom and insight was also having sex. Um, Now, of course, we wouldn't condone that or bless that today. Um, No, absolutely not, no. But, um, that's a real possibility of something that was happening with the centurion and his servant. It's quite likely, because we know it happened in Roman culture, that um, a centurion would have a boy Either that he was trying to train up, or that boy was either a slave or a different culture, and kind of served as a
0: sexual partner. Um, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. And obviously, obviously, we wouldn't condone that kind of that kind of behaviour now. But but it, um, but that it could have happened, and that Jesus would have known about this, and that he doesn't come out and outright condemn two two men, let's say, two adult men. Um, having a sexual relationship um, is, yeah, it's quite telling, I think. Um, yeah, so, okay, one of the, one of the things I want to kind of, I want to kind of take into this is applications of this. What does this look like kind of for us now? How do we take this and and, and create a more inclusive church now based on what we find in, in Scripture? Um so what are your kind of thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, for me, um, again, both in this book and my last book, True Inclusion, the idea is that um, because I think inclusion is the thrust of the gospel from Genesis to Revelation, this is what God is up to in the world, this is what God desires for the world, is that all of our arbitrary um, identities would fall to the wayside and that we would come together united in our common humanity to live and do life and worship together. Because I see that as the entire thrust and trajectory of Scripture and the Gospel, I think that the call for our churches and for our communities and for our individual lives is to be challenging ourselves to move into situations and circumstances where we are interacting with people that are different from us, and in that interaction, as uncomfortable or unpleasant sometimes as it might be, we learn, we expand, uh, we become people that God intended us to be. Uh, and so, in a church, for instance, my call would be, okay, if this is truly the thrust of the gospel, if this is where God is calling us to go, should all be Our resources and platform and privilege to bless, to lift up, to help dismantle systems of oppression again. Um, and yeah. is once you begin seeing how inclusion isn't a one time belief change, it's about a one time process you can walk through, it's a fundamental posture of life. Then you begin to relate to the world, that you put yourself in different like I said, uncomfortable circumstances and situations, and if we intentionally do that, wisdom is, and uh, wisdom teachers of all traditions have always said, that in proximity to our others, in proximity to the marginalized, or the the least of the that's where we grow the most. We learn most about our own humanity. We learn to become better human beings, better followers of Jesus. Um, And I think, and I hope, that if more people lean into this gospel of inclusion um, with our full lives, that perhaps will begin to be the answer that our world so desperately needs right now in our hyper polarized, politicized, divided culture, not just in America, not just in the UK, but literally every corner of the globe. It needs some inclusion. Um it needs a
0: gospel of inclusion. It really does. um can not I c I can't I couldn't agree with that more. Um well, and inclusion, like you say, to me, it's not just about, it's not ju- I mean, it is about, um, you know, sexual inclu- inclusion of people of different gender identities and sexual orientations and all those kind of things. But it's, it's, it's actually, it's bigger than that, isn't it? It's a, it's, it's about, it's basically, it's for me, it's kind of, it's like that everybody is included, no matter your race, your, um, background, your, your wealth your 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 employment status your sexual preference your sexual identity your gender that we're all equal and we're all included as we are Mm. um i guess that's what inclusion that's the kind of the bigger that's kind of the broader idea of inclusion i think
1: would you agree yeah absolutely i think that's a beautiful put it and yeah i couldn't add anything to it i think you summarized that well
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well thank you that's, that's that's encouraging um so how how can we be like just in our kind of day-to-day lives agents of change agent trying to be trying to make the spaces that we're like living in interacting in i mean not just in terms of spiritual community but also just in our day-to-day lives like places of work and those kind of things how can we start to make those places more inclusive um and show that that kind of inclusive approach to the people around us?
1: Totally. I think um, really it's finding the people whose voices aren't being heard, make sure they have a hearing, putting our own privilege and necks on the line to make sure other people can uh, have a voice. Um, we, I mean, again, and also just being intentional about where we are spending our time, who we're putting our energy uh, into. I was talking to somebody here at my church uh, this past weekend, and one thing he said was really profound and reminded me why it's so important that we have churches still. Um, it's that he was talking about how he joined our church and automatically did what most people do, and that is kind of get in there quick. They join a group of people that they're comfortable with, that they like. And he said, but I realized there were people in the church around me that I internally had judged and said that I don't like or... Um, he made a, a judgment based on bias or discriminatory preferences that we all have. And then he said, as he began to think about what God was calling him to, he started intentionally putting himself next to people that he normally would feel uncomfortable sitting next to and talking to people that he normally would not ever think about talking to. And as he did, he found that relationships have formed and his perceptions have changed, and he's grown, and the person has grown, and... Um, And I think that's just a beautiful truth for all of us is that we all know, I think, deep down that that's true, that the people we judge, the people we condemn, the people we other, the people that we think are strange and don't want to spend time with, they can be some of our greatest teachers, and they're some of, um, if we take a chance and leap into a relationship with them, um, beautiful friendships, beautiful um, relationships, beautiful networking opportunities come out of putting ourselves in postures that are uncomfortable, being around people that are different. Um, and so I just think it begins there. If we want to, in our workplace, for instance, work towards inclusion, we have to first make sure that we are being inclusive. Are we talking to all the different people? Are we putting ourselves on the line um, to learn the story of somebody who, again, we might not be interested naturally in going and listening to um And once that happens, it's easier to become an advocate for people because you can advocate better for somebody who you actually know and whose shoes you've gotten a chance to walk in. So um, the gospel of inclusion calls us into radical proximity with our others. Um, That's the life of Jesus. That's what Paul does as he goes into the world and proclaims the gospel. And that's what God is calling each of us to do every single day.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. I love that. Yeah. Oh yeah, and having been to your church, I, I can vouch it's it's probably one of the most inclusive churches I've ever been to. Um, I remember, like, you know, there's a, there's a broad range of different genders, different um, ethnic backgrounds, um, and you know, and I remember going to the service, um, and at least I must have, at least forty percent, fifty percent of people there were lgbt couples you know um and i met you know it was and it was such a beautiful thing that they felt and they they genuinely felt so safe and so accepted and so welcomed as they were with no judgment with no fear um no shame um and that it was a really great thing just to i I i felt really privileged to be in this space where all these different people were just worshipping together and everyone was so different but everyone was just a family um, together and that was a that was a really beautiful thing Um,
1: well thanks for saying that we were glad to have you and again (laughs) I can't take much credit for this Uh, it's, it's when you have communities with inclusion at its core strange interesting people show up and I would say our church is strange and interesting and like you said, um, when you take this seriously, people from all walks of life will begin to kind of emerge. And every Sunday, I feel so blessed to look out at our church and see, again, just how weird and ragtag this group is. Like, none of this makes sense. And yet, because we're all together across different socioeconomic lines, racial lines, sexuality lines, um, I think we have great opportunity to grow. um, And I sure hope uh, people in our church are growing.
0: Yeah, I'm sure they are. And uh, tell us a bit about some of the things that you, as a pastor, that you do in your church, you're really intentional about um, to try and make it more inclusive. You know, just as maybe an example to other people who are part of spiritual communities.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think um, this is pretty, it's a common thing. Um, rule in diversity consulting and everything, but it's true for us that we are really seeking to make sure that people are, diverse people are platformed. Whoever you put up front in your church or in your organization or in any group is what the congregation will begin to reflect. So, for instance, a story that I've told a couple of times is um, when I first came to Mission Gathering, we had almost... Uh, We had very few lesbian couples that were uh, in our congregation. And I was kind of perplexed why we were so male-heavy. And then I appointed a bisexual uh, associate pastor, and uh, we hired a couple um, lesbian worship leaders and uh, women leaders in our church, and we platformed them. We gave them the ability to publicly, upfront, use their gifts and talents. And we began to see literally, it sounds crazy, but within six months, um, we had probably 15 new women, lesbian couples show up in our church and the same, um, we try to be racially and culturally diverse in our church as well. Um, and so when we hired intentionally a gay, um, Korean worship leader to be our worship minister, we saw, um, more people from different Asian backgrounds began to show up in our church because they felt comfortable, they felt represented. And I think just super practically, if you want to make your church more inclusive, you've got to first do that from the top down. I really believe that. I think uh, if people see the leadership, as diverse, if they see the people that are getting platformed reflecting their own diversity, then they're going to be more comfortable and more willing to come. And the cool thing is, if you do a bunch of different, uh, if you platform a bunch of different colors, cultures, sexuality, gender identities, then you're going to get this beautiful mix, hodgepodge of people that come together. And that's the trick. Once you get the people into the room from diverse backgrounds, that's where the growth will begin to happen. Um, and as a pastor, it makes my job a little bit easier, frankly. Um, just uh, you orchestrate diversity and growth will happen. I really believe that. So, um, it takes a little bit of work off my plate.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the leadership team at your church are amazing. Really. Um, I, I had the privilege of meeting them with them and hanging out with some of them as well. They're, they're just fantastic. Uh, and it is really a diverse leadership as well, it really is. Um, and I remember when I was with you, like um, the, the weekend the weekend we were there, uh, I was there um, and you, a lesbian couple turned up for the first time. I think they turned yeah. up for my book event or something. Um, and then we went and had lunch and stuff with them and talked to them and it was their first time. And it was like, and I think they mentioned some of the, well, that was one of the reasons they showed up. It's because that was one of the churches where they felt like uh, lesbians were getting a platform and getting opportunities and were recognised. Um, I mean that's, that was just like a practical example of that, um, yeah. Um, and so that's yeah. I mean, um, yeah, it's fantastic. It really is. Um, and we need more. We need more of this. We need um, we need more of this in in the church. I'm, I'm convinced that uh, other churches are going to have to come and visit you and <laughs> see what you're doing because I think it's a it's a really it's the only it's the only way I think the church is going to survive because it um, because culture is changing Um, church tendencies are going down certainly in the UK Um, and you know the only way that the church in inverted commas will survive is if it actually kind of gets in tune with what God is already doing you know and I wouldn't say I'm not going to say get in tune with culture I would just say get in tune with how things have always been and how God has always been um, because he's always been inclusive as far as I'm concerned, like he's always been that way It's just that we're almost like our consciousness is catching up <laughs> yeah. um, and we need to start doing that 'cause because you know i mean we see jesus we see Jesus being inclusive he doesn't he doesn't prejudice against anybody you know he he empowers women he treats women as equals you know he he doesn't talk down to anybody um ever. Um, I never see that um, people with disabilities people who uh, are in poverty people who are well, all people on the margins he treats them as equals um, because he genuinely sees, believes they are equals you know, and, uh, and he loves them just the same and has no prejudice and that's, that's always been in scripture um, <laughs> you yeah. know, and um, we've got to follow that example
1: it's not an easy path as you said obviously people would have been following it for thousands of years if uh, that was easy but it is is that it's that taking up your cross and following after christ it's a hard but worth it path to walk in
0: absolutely it is yeah um yeah and it's again like you say it's a journey every day and it's a challenge every day and we've all All of us us have things to learn and areas where we can grow and areas where we probably make mistakes and we need to learn lessons. Um, um, But that's just part of the journey. Absolutely. Right. Um, So kind of, were you going to say something? (laughs) Um, What's your kind of biggest hope for this book, um, The Gospel of Inclusion?
1: inclusion and um, I wanted to show people for, honestly I'll say it this way um, I felt like I advocated for that approach which is it's traditionally called the revisionist approach I used to advocate that on stages all around the world and as I was doing it it was kind of dishonest because um, I always felt this rub because there was this belief that you could just shift your interpretation of six verses And keep the rest of your conservative evangelical theology intact and be LGBT inclusive. And what I saw in my own life and what I saw in most of the other people that I walked on the journey towards inclusion with was that their entire theology needed to change. The problem wasn't the six verses. It was the entire way we thought about God, salvation, the Bible. This wasn't about sexuality at all, actually. It was about um, a fundamentally different way of being Christian and seeing scripture. And so this book, I hope, is a touchpoint. It's a small book, uh, 150 pages or so, that whets people's appetites and gives them permission to say, wow, there are very different ways to look at Scripture, ways that maybe we never thought we'd hear anybody say. Um, I go to some pretty radical extremes in this book um, intentionally because I want people to be freed from fear, to be able to innovate theologically and be able to see, again, that I believe it's uh, a faithful way of looking at Scripture and the Christian faith to say that the heart of the Gospel and the whole trajectory of the Bible is towards radical inclusion. Um, And if I can get more people to begin thinking in that way, I really do think it's going to cause a shift in how Christianity is expressed in the Western world um not just from my book the shift is already happening of course in other ways but um for the people that will interact with the book i hope it provokes them to join the movement that's already happening
0: oh that's fantastic brilliant um i'm really excited for this book i'm always excited for any book you any book you bring out uh, any work that you're doing because you're doing yeah. such great work in the world you know you're making such a difference um and we need, well, you. Uh, absolutely, I mean, yeah, uh, I, I don't say that lightly, you know, you really are making a huge difference, and p- we need people like you doing, doing this, doing this kind of work, because um, it's a subject that really needs to be talked about, people need to start reflecting on, and where well, we need to have change, so thank you.
1: And thank you for being willing to cultivate these conversations, and be an advocate and ally, it's really, that's uh, one of the most important roles in this journey towards inclusion and i'm appreciative of that as well
0: oh well thank you thank you always mm-hmm. and you're always welcome on this show to talk about anything you want to talk about because i think this is a really this is always there's always so much more we can talk about around this subject and uh so i'm looking forward to seeing what you do next <laughs> because i know you've got lots of book projects in the, in the works and lots of things that you want to do so it's um, really exciting mm-hmm.
1: And likewise, I know you're you're dreaming and thinking and moving towards another book as well. I don't know if you've said that publicly yet, so I just outed you, maybe. But yeah,
0: uh, no, no people people. So. People kind of now I'm I'm working on another book, but uh, yeah, no. Well thank you. Yeah, thank you for coming on the show again, Brandon. It's always a always a privilege. Um, and likewise,
1: thanks for having me, and I hope to see you again soon.
0: Yes, hopefully. Yes, I hope to be back in San Diego at some point sooner rather than later. So. Um, but um, thanks for listening, everyone. I really hope this was helpful for you. And check out Brandon's book, The Gospel of Inclusion. It's available now anywhere you can get books. Um, I would just go and pick it up and give it a read. And um, bow on for your friends because it's really, really important. So thanks, everyone, for listening.